Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. The message today in the series that we're doing on the uh, plagues in Egypt, uh, really the the message that got me going in this direction to start with on thinking about doing a, a series uh, as we were preparing to go on the mission trip to Guatemala. Uh, I was trying to put together a message just in case they invited me to speak in the uh, church in the village, which they did uh, while we were there. Uh, if you were here on the Sunday, we gave the missions report. Uh, I told you that when I preached about the uh, the, the plague of the frogs there in Guatemala, I actually had found kind of a, a, a flat mummified frog out on the road that someone ran over and I decided to take it in there with me for an illustration. And I got to a point where I'm talking about getting rid of the frogs once and for all and I walk over and I toss it out the window because it was easy to do so in this church. And about the time I let it go, I remembered there was a lean-to. Well, I knew there was a lean-to that they built on the outside of the church after uh, UTH had built the church down there. But I did not know that someone's bed was there. And uh, luckily, it was the pastor's sister that uh, had a bed there. She was at church, not lying in bed when I threw the dead frog in. Uh, So it wound up uh, being a good thing. I don't have any frogs to throw at you today, so don't get worried. Uh, We did not bring live frogs into the worship center, so don't be uh, expecting any to bounce out or anything uh, like that. The background, of course, to these uh, plagues is what took place in in Egypt. Uh, God had... uh, Uh, told Pharaoh by raising Moses up to be a deliverer, God had told Pharaoh to let his people go. Um, not just let him go to uh, worship him a little bit in the in the desert, but God's intent was to let him go uh, completely. Pharaoh refused. So because Pharaoh refused that message, uh, God started sending these these plagues to get Pharaoh's attention. We talked about the first plague last week, which was all the water uh, being turned to blood uh, there within the the country of Egypt. Uh, There was a communication from God warning that would happen. When Pharaoh refused to listen to God, there were consequences, just like we'll have consequences in our lives when we fail to listen to God. And then because of something that Pharaoh's magicians did, it kind of gave a confused confidence to Pharaoh. And he thought, well, see, I don't need to listen to you anyway. And he hardened his heart and he turned his back and he walked away. Uh, today we're going to talk about the second plague, the uh, uh, plague of the frogs. And uh, we're going to make some analogies and draw some pictures out uh, from that story. Let me read it for you uh, to begin with. And then after I've uh, read it, we'll, uh, we'll break it down with about uh, kind of six main thoughts today. Uh, not a lot of sub points or anything like that. Uh, but the Bible says in Exodus 8, uh, verse 1 through 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that, we may, that, may, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all of your country with frogs. Then I shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians, and uh, you're going to have some recurring themes uh, all through this um, series, because uh, Pharaoh turns to some of the same solutions over and over again. I'll say more about that in a few moments. Um, so there will be some similar thoughts week to week. All I can tell you is that God led me to do this. It may be that we are needing these recurring thoughts uh, week after week. And, uh, and we need to allow God to speak to us about some of these things uh, until we get some of these things right in our own lives. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts. It made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, 
Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. That's always blown my mind that he said tomorrow, and we'll talk about that in a moment uh, also. But uh, he said tomorrow. Moses said, Be it uh, as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. In other words, the next day, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, in the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Main question I want to ask you today is how long? Uh, I think if you focused on that little word tomorrow, you'll understand why I'm asking that. But that's the main question that I want you to have in the back of your mind. I want you also to have in your mind this, the frogs that we're talking about today. I want you to consider these frogs as though they are like troubles that we cause ourselves when we fail to listen to what God says. They were experiencing these plagues, and in particular today, these frogs coming up all over the land, primarily because Pharaoh refused to hear what God said. He refused to listen to God. That's why we've titled this series, Are You Listening to God? Because when we reject God's truth, when we fail to listen to God, many times we will bring frogs upon our lives. We'll bring troubles upon our own lives when we reject God's truth. So kind of bear that in the back of your mind as we're talking about how long today. But, but as we work our way toward that main thought, and through that main thought, uh, I want you to see about six other things. The first one is, is this. The first one is uh, simply a question. What kind of trouble have you brought upon yourself by refusing to listen to God? What kind of trouble have you brought? What kind of frogs are in your life? Because you yourself have refused to listen to God. Look again with me at verse 1 and 2. And the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. So God clearly tells Pharaoh, you better let my people go. If you don't let my people go, here's what's going to happen. And he refuses to listen to God. So by his refusal, by his rejection of God's truth, he is the one that causes these frogs to come upon the land because he failed to listen to God. Uh, as we talked about it last week, when you and I also fail to listen to God, we'll cause consequences in our own lives. may not be frogs coming up all over you, but you'll have consequences. You'll have troubles that can come upon your own life because you fail to listen to God. God warned him clearly, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to plague your country with frogs, and frogs will be all over the place. And he refused to listen to him. As I've kind of alluded to before uh, last week in this series, I'm afraid a lot of the troubles, a lot of the frogs we have in our individual lives happen because we fail to listen to God. I think a lot of troubles that our families have take place because we fail to listen to God. A lot of troubles in our communities the troubles that we are experiencing in our nation and in our world, many of them, if we would just trace it out, can be tied to the fact that people have refused to listen to God. They have, they have rejected what God has said, and that's caused them to have troubles in their lives. So kind of be thinking about that in your own life. Maybe there's some troubles. Maybe there's some things in, in your life that's going on simply because you failed to listen to God. So be evaluating that and be willing to do something about it uh, today. Second thing I want to talk to you about is, is this. Aren't you tired of dealing with those troubles, the ones we just talked about? 
the troubles that come into our lives when we fail to listen to God? Aren't you tired of dealing with those troubles or frogs in your life that's caused when you refuse to listen to God? Verse 3 and 6, verse 3 through 6 tells us, The Nile shall swarm with the frogs that will come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, and your people, into your ovens, and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come on you, on your people, and on all your servants. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron to go ahead and stretch his hand out with a staff over the canals and over all the pools and make the frogs come up on the land. So Aaron did that, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Now, will you put yourself in their shoes for a moment, in their situation? Imagine this. After this plague hits, everywhere you go, there are frogs all over the place. I would submit to you, that's not a very good thing. Uh, unless you're someone that likes to go frog gigging or something like that. That might be positive if, if you're wanting some frog legs or something. But aside from that... If, if you all of a sudden started walking around the countryside here and there are frogs all over the place, I would suggest to you that that would get old pretty quick, wouldn't it? Everywhere you walk, there are frogs jumping all over the place, bouncing off of your body, you know, as you go through your, through your daily walk, through your life. You go home trying to escape the frogs. And you go into your living room exhausted because you've been putting up with these frogs all day long. And you go into your living room, you try and sit down and relax for a minute. And what you do is mash frog guts all over your backside. Uh, I started to say butt, but I didn't know it's okay to say butt in church. But uh, you, you get frogs all over your backside. So now you think, well, maybe if I can just go to bed... If I can just go in my bedroom and close the door and lay down on my bed and escape uh, all of this that I've been having to deal with. So you go in your bedroom, you pull the covers back, you hop in bed, only to discover that those frogs are going to be your bed partners all night long. I don't think I'd get a lot of sleep. Do you think you would with frogs in your bed all night long? Then maybe you get up in the morning and you think, I'll feel a little bit better if I can just have something to eat and then I'll, I'll feel better about myself. I'll go out into my, into my life this day, but I need to fix something to eat first. And you go and you look in your bowls where you're going to prepare the food and guess what? There are frogs there. You look inside your oven and guess what's inside your oven? There are frogs there. Everywhere you look, there are frogs. And my suggestion is that would get old pretty fast, wouldn't it? You would get tired of being frustrated by, by those frogs. But since we're using those frogs as an analogy for troubles that we bring upon ourselves when we fail to listen to God, think about it in those terms as far as it being troubles. Because we'll live our lives and we'll make wrong choices during the day and then maybe get beat up by other people's wrong choices and things during the day and we, we go home hoping we can escape our troubles. And you go home into your living room and you sit down, but you can't really get any rest just sitting in your living room because in your mind, you're being bombarded by the troubles and the guilt that's in your life because you have refused to listen to God and it's brought all of these troubles upon your own life. You think if I can just go to bed and get to sleep, I can forget about the guilt, I can forget about the pain, I can forget about all the troubles that I'm dealing with in my life, and you try and go and you lay down, but you can't sleep at night because those, quote, frogs, those troubles, those worries, those guilts and everything, they keep besetting you and attacking you as you lay down upon your bed so you can't really get any rest at night because the troubles you brought upon yourself and the guilt you brought upon yourself by failing to listen to God. You get up in the morning and you think, well, if I can just eat something, I'll feel better. But you try and eat and you don't really have an appetite to eat because you're being so worried and, and, and so underneath the pressure of the guilt and the troubles that you brought upon your own life because you refuse to listen to God. Do you understand the analogy of it? Have you ever been there? I mean, admit it. Have you ever been there sometime in your life? You're trying to find a little bit of peace in your life, some rest in your life, but you can't escape the choices you've made in your life, and they worry you no matter what you try and do. Go to bed, go to sleep, try and escape them, whatever you do. You're carrying that guilt and that worry with you as you try to, to get some rest. So aren't you tired 
of dealing with the trouble and the guilt in your life that comes from failing to listen to God. Third thing this morning, I want us to notice this. And this is one of the recurring themes that I mentioned earlier that we see in a lot of these plagues. And that's simply this. Trusting in false help doesn't help. (laughs) Trusting in false help only makes the problems worse. Pharaoh leans to his magicians again. Ignoring the fact that when they put their staffs down and they turned into snakes, Aaron's staff ate their snakes. Ignoring the fact that when he called upon them to help and all the water was turned to blood, they weren't any help at all. The only thing they did was turn more water to blood. Now these magicians did the same by their secret arts and they made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Can I ask you a question? If you already got frogs all over the land, all in your house, in your bed, in your oven, and in your bowls, why in the world would you want more frogs? That's not any help at all. They they didn't bring any help. Instead, they just made matters worse. And that's what happens in our lives when, when we turn the wrong direction trying to get help. Because when we are kind of like the people here in Egypt and we've got, quote, frogs all over the place, troubles all over the place, guilt all over the place, that we've kind of self-generated because we failed to listen to God, we get tired of it and we'll start to look for solutions. We'll start to look for a way to find peace. We'll try and find an escape from it. But the problem is this. Many times we try and find the escape by looking in the wrong direction by looking for help in all the wrong places where you won't really get any help whatsoever. Some people will think, well, maybe if if I can just drink enough out of a bottle, that will help me with my guilt complex. That will help me with the troubles that I'm facing, and I can forget them for a little while. The problem is when you sober up, guess what? you just got more guilt. Maybe I can take a few pills and that'll make me feel better about myself. And maybe I can go to sleep for a little while. But when you get on the other side of that fix, you've just got more guilt and more trouble in your life. And it doesn't really help you at all. Maybe you think if I can just go out and enjoy myself and the things of the world, maybe some type of illicit relationship or whatever the case might be. It might be fun for a moment. We, we try and tell people the truth here at Day 3. Some people will try and tell you there's not ever any fun in sin. I will submit to you that's a lie. There is fun in sin for a little while until the consequences hit. Until the guilt hits. So someone might try and find some type of escape by an illicit relationship, but guess what? On the other side of it, the only thing you've done is increase your guilt problem because you've rejected what God had to say. And and it gets worse instead of better because you've looked in all the wrong places. It just became worse. The uh, Egyptians, we talked some about their false gods last week, they, they had another false god by the name of Heget. And Heget was a goddess uh, who was kind of supposed to be everything like uh, resurrection, fertility, childbirth, things like that. And she was a goddess, but she had a hell of a frog. Now, I don't know what was going on with that. My picture I put in my mind of a goddess, if I'm going to worship a goddess, doesn't include a pretty woman looking like a frog in the face. But that's the type of god that they had. So just like when God was judging the Nile through turning all the water to blood, by doing so, God was also making a sport, almost making fun of all of their false gods. God is now doing the same thing with these, this other false god that had a frog head. As he brings all the frogs upon the land, he's making, once again, a sport of their false gods. See, the main thing I want you to understand is this. When we turn to the wrong solutions, to the wrong places, trying to find help for our troubles, the only thing we do is make it worse. We have more trouble in our lives. But thank God if we turn to Jesus, we can find peace. Amen? Let's look at some scriptures that tell us that. Look here at this passage of scripture that tells us about Jesus calming the storms. I'm not going to read all these. I'll talk through some of them, but you're familiar with the story. Jesus and the disciples are out on a boat. This huge storm blows up. 
They're starting to think, doesn't he even care at all that we're about to perish? They go wake him up. And they even ask him, don't you care that we're all about to die because of the storm? And Jesus gets up and he goes out and he tells the wind to behave itself and the waves to behave themselves. And he stills the storm and there's a peace. That same Jesus can still the storms in our lives. When you're having troubles beset you because you fail to, to listen to God, you can trust in Him and, and He can take care of the storms that you have in your life and bring peace to you, even in the midst of the storm, if you'll allow Him to do it. Let's keep looking at what Jesus can do for us. He can provide real peace, not temporary peace. Jesus told His disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as a world gives do I give to you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid see the world will promise peace the world will point to all kinds of things that will say hey do this and you'll feel better do this and it'll bring peace to your life but it's not real peace because it's kind of like what I said a moment ago it's a temporary peace and on the other side of it the peace disappears the peace isn't there anymore it's just a temporary peace. The world will give you peace and then rip it away from you and pull the rug out from underneath you. But that's not the kind of peace that Jesus gives. Thanks God, he gives, he gives an everlasting peace to us. Amen? He gives peace that doesn't, that is not taken away and therefore we don't have to let our hearts be troubled or be afraid. Let's keep looking at the peace Jesus can give us. We can have real peace because of the wounds of Jesus. Another instance in the New Testament, the disciples were hid in a house for fear of the Jews. They had heard from some of the disciples that Jesus was alive, but everybody had not seen him yet. And they had witnessed and saw what they had done to Jesus. And they're thinking, man, we've been following him around for three years. They may do the same thing to us. And they are there scared for fear of the Jews. But Jesus appears in the midst. He walks in. And Jesus says this to them. He says, peace be with you. And when he has said it, notice what Jesus does. He shows them his hands and he shows them his side. And that's the primary element for you and I as believers, as Christians, to have peace in our lives when we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we focus upon his wounds, what he paid for us, how he sacrificed himself on the cross for my sin and for your sin, and we think about the wounds of Jesus, we can find peace because of the wounds of Jesus. We can also find peace because of his cross. For in him, Colossians chapter 1, 19 and 20, for in him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, if you look at Jesus, you can see everything that God is. Because he was the man God, God in the flesh. God was pleased to dwell, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things. That's what he was doing through Jesus and Jesus dying on the cross. Whether on heaven or in earth, notice this, making peace by the blood of of his cross. If you know Christ is your savior today, I'm not saying you can necessarily live a trouble-free life, but I am saying this. If we'll focus more on the cross of Jesus and what Jesus paid for us on the cross, the penalty he paid for our sins, you and I will have a whole lot less guilt, a whole lot less worries, a whole lot less trouble that we'll walk around with every day. And instead of trying to find peace and answers through the magicians of the world, so to speak, through the wrong things out in the world, we can find a real peace by focusing on the cross of Jesus. He said later in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That is a huge issue for us. I spent some time counseling between the two services this morning because of a, of a young man that had a lot of bad choices he had made in his life. He had been through a lot of negative things in his life. And, and it really boiled down to this right now. He said he knew Christ as his Savior, but he's still living in the things that he had done. God doesn't want us to live with those things in our heart. Those things are forgiven and under the blood of Jesus. Amen. God wants us to let his peace, the peace of Christ, rule our hearts, not the guilt over our past that's gone and done and under the blood of Jesus. We can read in Hebrews and we find this out because there's a passage there that shows us that Melchizedek was a type or a picture of Christ. It says he is first, talking about Melchizedek, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Melchizedek was a picture of Christ. That's who Jesus is. He is the king of righteousness. 
He's the one that is righteous himself. He's the one that provides righteousness for us. He rules and reigns over righteousness. And because he's the king of righteousness, it said this as we continue to read, and then he is also the king of Salem. And the translation of the king of Salem means this. He is the king of peace. If you want peace in your life, that's where you need to focus. You need to recognize that Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins, he's the king of peace. You will not find real peace out in the world. You will not find real peace by turning to things that are no help at all, like Pharaoh was doing. That just makes the problem worse. But thank God you and I can have real peace in our hearts and in our lives if we'll focus upon Jesus. Amen. Amen. Fourth thing I want to get to is kind of the crux of the matter that we're talking about this morning. And that's this question, how long will you wait to ask God to help you with your troubles? I'm not going to read all those verses again because I read them a moment ago. I'm just going to kind of talk through them. Evidently, Pharaoh got tired of the frogs. He got fed up with having frogs all over the place, frogs in his oven, frogs in his bed, frogs all over the land. All of his people were experiencing the same thing that he was experiencing. Some people think, well, surely because he was Pharaoh that he could uh, escape some of that because he was living in the king's chambers. Well, Psalm 105 verse 30 says, their land swarm with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. But as I said a moment ago when I read it, this has always blown my mind. <laughs> that when Pharaoh called Moses in, and Pharaoh told Moses, more or less he's saying this, man, I'm tired of these frogs. Will you go pray to your God that he'll take the frogs away? And Moses asked Pharaoh, when do you want me to pray? And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. Really? <laughs> if you were in that situation and those circumstances, and you're wanting to get rid of the frogs, would you have said Tomorrow? I'm just telling you, one night with frogs in my bed, I think's enough. I don't think I would have said tomorrow. I think I would have screamed at the top of my lungs and said, Moses, I want you to pray to your God right now. Don't wait another second. I'm sick and tired of these frogs all over the place. I want you to get rid of the frogs right now, this instant. But instead... He said, tomorrow. Isn't that a bewildering thing? And it's easy for us to look at Pharaoh and think, why in the world would you say tomorrow? Why wouldn't you say get rid of them now? When it's also a bewildering thing to me that we will bring troubles upon ourselves, frogs upon ourselves by refusing to listen to God. And we get fed up with them. We're tired of the guilt. We're tired of worrying about the things that we've brought upon ourselves because we failed to listen to God. But we're like Pharaoh. Instead of saying, God, help me with these troubles now, we'll keep putting it off. We'll put it off to the next day. And then it's a little bit easier to put it off to the next day. And the next day. Instead of saying, God, I'm tired of the trouble I've caused myself by failing to listen to your word, God, I, I want you to help me right now. God, I need peace in my life right now. I, I, I need these frogs gone out of my life right now. Instead of us putting those things off, instead of Instead of asking God now, give me the help right now, we will put them off and put them off and put them off. When we need to get really honest before God and Jesus and say, Jesus, I admit to you, I repent, I admit to you, I failed to listen to you. I admit to you 
that I've rejected what you've told me. But I'm, I'm at the point I need help right now, this minute. This isn't the invitation time yet, but I want you to be thinking about it early. If you've never, ever trusted Christ as your Savior, why keep putting it off? Why keep walking around with the guilt of your sin? Why keep walking around with the, with allowing all those troubles to so beat you up? without having any hope and any faith in Jesus. Why keep putting it off to tomorrow? And those of us that know Christ as our Savior, why do we do that? Why do we get in trouble because we fail to listen to God? God is saying, I want you to get this out of your life. I want you to do this for me. And then we refuse to listen to what he says. And we bring troubles and guilt upon our life instead of getting to the point that we say, God, I... I'm sorry, I need you to help me right now. Why do we keep putting it off to the next day and the next day and the next day? Jesus has come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why don't we come to him and let him give us rest? Fifth thing I want you to see is really logical, I think. Dead frogs piled up stink. Amen, you think so? think that's true? It says, so Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. Then there on the next day. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out in the houses and the courtyards, the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stung. Now the Bible doesn't tell us that God was good enough to them to get the frogs out of the bed in the ovens first or out of their house first. I mean, it looks like to me that at the point in time Moses prayed, wherever the frogs were, in that moment they died. And the people had to go through the drudgery of going and getting all these frogs together, whether it be in their house or outside their house, and they're making piles of frogs across the land. And in that environment... In the temperature that's there in Egypt, if you pile up a bunch of frogs, guess what those frogs are going to start to do? They're going to stink. The Bible tells us that they stunk. We don't even need to factor in what we know about Egypt. The Bible says they piled them up and the whole land stank. And you might be thinking, what in the world is he talking about? What's he going to do with this? Here's maybe an application for us. When God gives you victory over the troubles in your life, when God and you've cried out to him to help get rid of the frogs in your life, get rid of the troubles in your life, get rid of the guilt in your life, and God does that. He's, he's killed those troubles. He's killed those worries. He, he's given you victory over that guilt. What we need to learn not to do is this. We don't need to take the things that we're guilty about in our past and make a pile here and come over here and make a pile here in our life and another pile somewhere else. Because if we leave those things around, sooner or later they're going to start to stink. What we need to do with the things that Christ has given us the victory over is that we need to bury them and let them be dead and gone and forget about them. Don't keep your guilt around because that's what Satan wants you to do. You see, here's the difference. Now, now, please understand this. If you've got active sin in your life, even as a believer, there ought to be some guilt there. Because fellowship-wise, not relationship-wise, we are permanently God's child through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. So the relationship of God being our Father never changes, but our fellowship with the Father can change based upon our performance. And, and when we're allowing things to be in our lives that shouldn't be there, and we're rejecting God's truth, we're not paying attention to what God is, is telling us, even as believers, when we do that, there's guilt there because God wants us to bring those things to Him, recognizing that we have dishonored Him by the wrong things in our lives. It's not you losing your salvation. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's impossible. That's impossible according to the Bible. 
But if we are allowing things in our lives that should cause guilt to be there, then the guilt should be there to help lead us to repentance. Because even believers are supposed to repent to keep our fellowship with God close. What I'm saying is this. When it's something God's giving you the victory over, and it's not an act of sin in your life, and it's already dead and gone, don't pile it up and keep it around and look at it. Allow it to be dead and gone forever. Because Satan, if you leave it laying around somewhere in your conscience and you keep looking back at it and playing with it, what he's going to do is this. He's going to take guilt over something you've already been forgiven over that God's not holding against you, but he's going to make you feel guilty to where you'll be discouraged and despondent and you'll fail to go out and serve Jesus and do the things that God wants you to because you're wrestling with your own personal guilt when you shouldn't have left it laying around to start with. It should be buried and gone instead of piled up to where it stinks. Does that make sense? We don't need to allow those things to defeat us in that way because you see Micah chapter 7 verse 18 and 19 tells us this. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Thank God for that. Amen. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities, not us, our iniquities underfoot. And then notice what's said. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. If that's what God has done with them, leave them there. Don't go fishing for them. Toward Tim Boom, I think there's a quote from her years ago that said God had buried all of our guilt, all of our sin in the sea, and he posted a sign, no fishing allowed. Well, we don't need to go fishing after the things he's already given us victory over. Psalm chapter 103, verse 11 and 12 says, For as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, the way that's phrased doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean as far as California is from North Carolina. It didn't mean in the promised land as far as the west coast, the west, the border of Israel is to the, to the east border of Israel. That's not what God was saying. God is saying this. He removed our sin in such a way. You can go west all you want to keep going west to find it, and you're not going to find it. You can keep going east as much as you want to keep going east for it, and you can't find it because here's what he's done with it. It's gone. He paid for it with his shed blood. And we don't need to allow it to stay around in our conscience to make us, to make us guilty. Number six is this. And this is a recurring theme, one of these recurring themes in all these plagues. Don't harden your heart against God. When Pharaoh saw they had a little bit of breathing space, river turned to blood's gone. Frogs are gone. Instead of him doing what he had promised God that he would do, he hardened his heart, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh had promised Moses, making a promise to God through Moses, you go and you pray for the frogs to die, and, and I'll let the people go out and sacrifice out in the, in the desert. God kept his end of the bargain, but Pharaoh refused to keep his. You ever been guilty of doing that? You ever told God, God, if you'll just get me out of this trouble, I'll serve you with all my heart. I'll do this, I'll do that. He did, but you didn't. Have you ever done that? Huh? Don't look so pious. I've been guilty of that. You have too. Made a deal with God, then you didn't keep your end of the bargain. And that's what Pharaoh is doing. Now, I know people will point to it and say, as I've already alluded to in this series, that that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, you've got to bring the sovereignty of God to bear into this. 
See, a lot of times we, we minimize the sovereignty of God. Here's the deal with that. I would much rather have a God that's so great I can't figure out everything about him than I would a God that I can figure out in my small mind. How about you? And God in his sovereignty and his foreknowledge knew in advance that Pharaoh would never ever change his mind. So after plague, after plague, after plague, Pharaoh continues to harden his heart until ultimately it winds up costing him his firstborn son. And all the firstborn in Egypt die. Because he continued and he continued and he continued to harden his heart. We need to be careful that we don't make a pattern in our lives. Of telling God no and telling God no and telling God no and telling God no. Because as we do that, we're going to make our hearts get harder and colder, harder and colder. And that can even be done for a believer. I'll show you that in just a moment. Instead of running away from God, we need to run to God. Because God gives us this invitation in Isaiah one eighteen. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. No matter how many frogs, no matter how many troubles you have in your life, Jesus can take care of them. If we'll just allow him to do it. So our original question today is this, how long? How long will you allow the frogs to stay in your life? How long will you allow the frogs to stay in your house, to stay in your bedroom? How long are you going to put up with troubles that you have self-generated upon your own life because you've refused to listen to God? How long are you going to allow those things to eat at you and afflict you until you come to the point that you say, God, I need help. God, I want you to take these troubles away now remind you of the scenario you go to your home where you thought you'd be able to find peace but because you've got this guilty conscience and because you've rejected God's truth you don't find peace and rest there you can't sit down in your living room and enjoy TV you can't lay down in your bed and have rest and peace at night you don't even have an appetite to eat because you're so guilty And you have so much trouble in your life because you've continued to reject the truth of God's Word. How long would you live like that? How long would you keep putting up with it and going on in your life instead of asking God to help you with it now instead of waiting until tomorrow? Jesus, the Bible teaches when we understand fully what he's done for us in our relationship with him, does more than just take care of our sins where we know we're going to heaven. Faith in Jesus can even clean our conscience to where all those things that you've let afflict you and keep you awake at night aren't there. Look at what Hebrews tells us. How much more will the blood of Christ... He was talking about the blood of animals. So how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, the law wouldn't fix your conscience for you. The law, you trying to use dead works to make yourself better before God just makes you more and more aware how messed up you are. But it's through the full sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross for your sins and your awareness and your faith in Him that even your conscience can be cleared where you can serve God. Hebrews also tells us this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, I need to give you just a little bit of background. See, the only time someone could go in the most holy place was on the Day of Atonement. And only then, the high priest. And he would go back and he would sprinkle the blood, pour the blood upon the mercy seat. If anyone went back there other than the Day of Atonement, even the high priest, they would die. 
They would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest just in case he got back there and somehow displeased God and he died in the most holy place where they could extract him because they couldn't go in after him or they would have died. Now that sounds harsh, but that gives us a picture of how holy God is. But through Jesus, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Instead of us having to be fearful of the presence of God, we can come into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus has paid the full penalty for our sins. Jesus opened up a new and a living way that he opened for us through the curtain that was his flesh, his body. And since we have a great priest talking about Jesus over the house of God, the Bible says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, our faith in Jesus sprinkles our conscience to where we have the confidence to approach God. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, talking about God himself. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some is, but we need to encourage each other all the more we see the day drawing near. There's a day of judgment coming. He tells us that we need to be encouraging each other. And you see, the primary way we encourage each other isn't this. I don't come up to you with a mindset of, hey, I'm Lynn Parsons. I'm going to shake your hand this morning. I'm going to smile at you. That's going to be a big encouragement. That'll get you through your week. You can't encourage me by trying the same approach, but we can encourage each other with the great truth that Jesus paid the full penalty price for our sins. And we need to meet together, worship God for that, celebrate what Jesus has done, encourage each other in what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. And through that, we go forth and serve God. Don't harden your heart. I'm not going to read these verses, but I'm going to lead to them. Also in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells Jewish believers. Pharaoh was heathen. He wasn't a believer. But now the writer of Hebrews tells Jewish believers not to harden their hearts like the Jews did. Not Pharaoh, but like the Jews did as they were wandering in the wilderness. So that tells me you and I need to be careful even as believers that we don't harden our hearts by telling God no and rejecting God's truth. How long? How long? You're going to keep putting it off till tomorrow or are you going to deal with it today? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, how long are you going to keep waiting? Why not take care of that today? If you do know Christ as your Savior and you've rejected God's truth and you're walking around with a guilt in it, how, how long? How long are you going to keep doing that? Why not ask Jesus to help you with those frocks, with those troubles today? Let's pray. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place that's been putting off and putting off and putting off trusting in Jesus, maybe they did so because they thought they messed up so much and they understand that you're, you're so holy that they feel like they can't approach you. But Father, help them to understand right now because of what Jesus did on the cross through faith in Jesus, through the blood that he shed, that they can indeed approach you. Father, if there's someone here today that needs to trust in Jesus, Help them right now to be honest and and repent before you. Admit to you they can't save themselves. Admit to you that they are sinners. But give them the faith that they need to trust in Jesus and have him to take care of their guilt problem and and their sin problem. That you'll birth them into your family and help them to grow and become more and more like Jesus. Father, for Christians that are here, forgive us when we reject your truth. Forgive us when we refuse to do what you tell us to do. Father, many times we bring troubles in our lives because we've rejected your truth and your word. Father, I pray you help us right now.
to say, God, help me with those troubles now. Forgive me that I've rejected your truth now. Father, I don't want to wait till tomorrow. Father, I pray for our communities. I pray for our nation. Father, I think there are many troubles that have beset us because people have refused to listen to you. And Father, it's not about a political party. It's about listening to you. It's about our nation humbling ourselves before you. You tell us judgment must begin at the house of God. And Father, help us as those who profess that we know you. I ask you to forgive us for refusing to listen to you. Father, we pray you help us with our guilty conscience. Help us to set forward and serve you under the awareness that Jesus paid it all. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, why keep putting it off? Why wait till tomorrow? If you do know Him and you know right now, without any doubt, you've got struggles in your life because you refuse to listen to God. Why not apologize? Why not ask for His help now? Don't put it off till tomorrow. Maybe you need to come and kneel. Maybe you need to come and ask somebody to pray with you, me to pray with you, or someone else I can have to pray with you about some troubles in your life or how to receive Christ. Maybe you just need to come and kneel off to the side and say, God, help me with my troubles. Maybe you need to pray for our nation that we'll start listening to God. Just be sensitive and listen to God's Spirit and do what He what he's asking you to do during this time. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day 3 Church. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.